Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait, What? A comics podcast for the Savage Critics website. In today's installment, Graham McMillan and I answer questions from the mailbag, by which we mean our comment section, including whether to keep or dispose of your comics, what keeps us picking up a title, issue after issue after issue, and crying superheroes, threat or menace. Again, our thanks to everyone who provided feedback and suggested topics, and we hope you enjoyed the podcast. Thanks for listening. Jeffrey Lester. Hello. Am I calling you too soon? No, no, I'm I'm just sitting here waiting for your dulcet tones. <laughs> or dull, <laughs> comma, set yes. tones, yes. That would work as well. Mm-hmm. Thank you for making that pun concrete. My pleasure. My pleasure. I, I actually... Ah, sadly, I'm too in love with the sound of my own voice to think that you might have meant that pun uh, until just now. So, sadly, I didn't. But um, but I I pretended I did for a couple of seconds. <laughs> You're too kind. Okay, so uh, what so I, I'm I'm going to go to the mailbag. That's right, <laughs> <laughs> the mailbag. <laughs> and can I just say I honestly think it's wonderful that we were like, hey. Let's ask people in Savage Critics, and they responded. I, was, I yeah. honestly was expecting people to be like, you know what? Fuck you for even asking. Just talk about some comics. But no, they gave us like real things to talk about, which is remarkably exciting. And um, that's beyond Michael and Marcus telling me to write more. Oh, I know. And me too, if he even wants me to write. I mean, at least he was like, yeah, I want you to write more. Uh, and maybe the other guy can do something too. You know what I mean? Like it was, it was kind of. I appreciate. Well, to, to be to be fair, they both said you guys because I'm looking at it right now. Oh, so that's they true. Both of us too. It's okay. not just me. Yeah, you're all right. Okay. Um, here's here's my my thing. Mm-hmm. Did you see um, Das Bender's comment? Yes. Uh, although Which I love. Um, he says so. As a consumer of infinitely running serial stories. How do you stop yourself from becoming the guy that gets crushed to death by the weight of his own floor-to-ceiling Dazzler collection? When does enough become enough? Now, I have... I know you have a different reaction to this than I do because I pretty much got rid of my comic collection when I moved to America in the first place. Mm-hmm. And I now, I now periodically get rid of all my comics. Mm-hmm. Or the majority of my comics. Um, but you're entirely the opposite. Well, I'm not, I'm not, in, I'm not, I'm not entirely the opposite. Because, for example, as you know, uh, usually for the last couple of years, once a year, I have a a big garage sale where I take, you know, huge numbers of long boxes of comics that I no longer want and I mark them down to to a quarter and I I essentially sell them for an almost, you know, at an almost traumatizing loss uh, to to people and people show up and buy, you know, big shopping bags of, of recent comics. So I don't, I don't keep all of my stuff, but... On the other hand, yes, I actually also pay uh, an absurd amount of money per month for a storage space where I store now all of the comics I had when I was a kid and the majority of the comics that I have now. Um, And there are times where I lay awake at night going, dear God, what have I done? You know, so here's the thing. As someone who's gotten rid of the majority of his comic collection and to be honest, doesn't really miss it as much as he thought he would. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Do you have moments where you're just like, I could do that. I could get rid of everything. I mean, especially now when everything's reprinted. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Y- you know, I, I do. And in fact, I, I have that thought a lot. I mean, 
Um, you know, back in 1998, 1999, when I didn't have access to the comics that were still up at my parents, I went on eBay and bought the whole swath of Captain America comics that I love. Steve Englehart's run, followed by Kirby's run. And, um, you know, that was about 50-plus comics that I had already had the first time, that I bought the second time. And then, and then almost all of those were collected in trades, most of which I then proceeded to buy so that I could have on my bookshelf. Um, and I keep saying, okay, I should get rid of either A, the poorly kept originals that I have from when I was a kid that I didn't bag and board and that are yellowed and, and not and smell like, you know, funny vinegar. B, the copies that I bought off of eBay that I read, you know, once or twice and then rebagged, or C, the trade paperbacks that I then spent too much money on for recolored, you know, sl- you know, slick copies that I have on my shelf, and yet con- I have not gotten rid of any of them. I have all three of those in that particular case. And so know, why why those, do you keep them? You know, this is a, this is a really good question, um, and, and the the really awkward uh, analogy that I'm going to make that hopefully will not traumatize uh, Vanya or anyone else listening is it's sort of like when you've been a virgin for like too long a period of time and suddenly you can't give it up to just anybody. It's got to be quote unquote the right person. Like if I had kept my comics in perfect order and bagged them and boarded them and all the stuff that I, I have never considered my, I've always considered myself to be a reader uh, rather than a collector, but if I could get rid of them for something like an appropriate amount of money, I think I would do so. And I'd probably be substantially relieved by it because Mm -hmm. I'm kind of at this horrible age where the stuff that I read as a kid, it doesn't matter how many times I reread it now. I still remember it anyway. Like I pretty much remember huge there's very little of it that i don't remember as opposed to the stuff that i'm buying nowadays as an adult that i read and it really doesn't matter how many times i read it i don't really retain any of it you know so it's kind of like i could let both of those go because i'm not really going to be sitting down with um infinite crisis for example and rereading it anytime soon just to see how it holds up on the other hand there's part of me that kind of just can't put them up on ebay for like you know, uh, 50 cents a piece. So, so I think that the weird part is, and I'm, I'm sort of conflating the two. There's the stuff that I have now, which I could probably let go. Um, if I, if I just almost at any amount, but the stuff from when I was a kid, I have a weird fixation on it. That's hard for me to let it go. Um, you know, unless the price was right, but it'll never quite be right because these are kind of moldered old comics and I'm not exactly sure I want to necessarily put the the time and research into it. I keep telling myself that I'm going to sit down, I'm going to see what they're going for on eBay and then I'll put up an equivalent price. You know, I mean, for the last 18 months, the, the economy has been so shit. It, the, the prices really don't look particularly good no matter when you're looking. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do find myself thinking, yeah, I, I, think I, I think I'm ready to cut the cord like 80% of the time I think that way and then 20% of the time I'm gripped by a horrible anxiety that I that I could or that I will. You know what I mean? Like like he- hearing you say that you had gotten rid of all your comics, I was like, "Oh god, of course he did." And part of me was like, "Oh, 
you what, Graham? How could you do that? You know? Well, what's funny for me is people come over to the house and, uh, you know, Douglas came over to the house and we're showing around the house. And then he saw my office where I have the comics I have, which are pretty much, mm-hmm. you know, a shelf full. Mm-hmm. And he's like, so where are the rest of your comics? Mm-hmm. And I kind of feel guilty for saying that's it. <laughs> you know, I feel, I feel like, you know, I am invalidating my comic nerdiness by going, I had a complete run of Green Lantern and I got rid of it. Mm-hmm. And like, I didn't even get rid of it properly. I got rid of it by giving it all to one person. Really? Yes. Is that is that what happened to your comic collection? You just gave mm-hmm. it to one per, like everything, mm-hmm. just to one person? Everything. Yeah. Wow. And um, it took her it took her like two car loads to pick it up. Wow. Of course you gave it to a girl. <laughs> what does that mean? Uh, well, uh, um, <laughs> hmm, yeah, how am I going to phrase it, that? It, uh, yeah, it, it was it was not anything like uh what it sounds like you're implying. I can tell you that much. Well, no, I okay. Well, um from reading your from reading your blog, I, I would I would merely sound like you know that it's some sort of strange. No, it, like, no, it was it wasn't some like emo thing at all. No, no, because you're pretty damn emo on your blog. I, I have to I, say, I'm, I'm incredibly emo on my blog. I'm very emo internally. The comic snark is just one side of me. I'm a multifaceted jewel. You, you are, and believe me, that's pretty much how Edie and I describe you around the house. She'll be like, how's that multifaceted Jewel Graham doing? And I'll be like, he's okay, but you know, multifaceted. And, um, and, and Jewel-like. And Jewel-like. Yeah, and a gem. Kind of like... Um, I am truly outrageous. Yeah, you... Oh, has anyone doubted? Actually, the thing that I, I love is the fact that you are so emo on the blog. But, like, in real life, of course... <laughs> It's not it's not just the comic snark. It's just kind of like we can have a wonderful time and have had many wonderful times with you and you're incredibly pleasant and you would never think that you had a strong opinion about anything other than eating chocolate. You know what I mean? Like I mean, you know, and I don't mean that in like a oh you're vacuous kind of way. I just mean that I, I do like the chocolate. Yes, I know you do, and that's what I'm saying. <laughs> it's, it's sort of like there's Kate and your cat and chocolate and whether or not you've actually had, you know, emotionally complex responses to anything other than those three subjects, we're not sure. So, I, I mean, of course you have. And that's one of the things I love about your blog is you're pretty much talking about, you know, times in your life where you it seems like you had emotionally complex responses to everything, which, you know, which we all have and do. And I just think that it's really a wonderful read that way because there's, um, you know, as much as I'd like to, you know, tease you about the emo-ness of it, it's just, it's it's very, it's very open uh, and winsome, and you, in person, are very o- very open, but not um, so winsome. Not so winsome. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's kind of it's you're not you're not uh, it's not like you project any sort of steely facade or anything like that. But you you um, you never seem vulnerable in public in a way that you seem on that in that one little section of the blog and what's great about it is of course you're so candid about it you don't seem really vulnerable about your vulnerability either it's it's very winning still waterfront deep jeff that's all i'm saying (laughs) i'm so glad you said it so i wouldn't have to oh 
Uh, I, I, I tried to wonder how to get back to the subject we were talking about after that wonderful diversion. I know, I know. Uh, People are going to be I, like, I'm going to, I'm going to keep reading uh, from okay. Daz Vendor's comment, which is still in front of me. Um, he says, what drives you to buy Thor 601 after you've already read 600 issues of a guy hitting people with a magic hammer? Isn't that a great question? I love that question. Yeah. Because yeah. honestly, that's not Thor for me, but like Green Lantern. Mm. There's only so much you can do with Green Lantern, but pretty much like show me a Green Lantern comic and I'll be tempted to buy it. That's great. And I don't know why. I, I, I honestly couldn't explain it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, well, that, uh, that, you know, I I mean, I will be, you know, what I think is interesting is, is although I'm tempted to buy all kinds of comics, there past there was a stage where I stopped buying, you know, quote unquote for the character and now buy for the, I I pretty much follow the creators. So mm-hmm. it's not the I'll buy anything that has Green Lantern in it, but Anything that Green, Grant Morrison writes, um, I would pick up. Like, no matter how an- antithetical to an interesting concept or character that I think that it is, um, I will pick it up. So, I mean, it's just, it's one of those situations. I think I think maybe Batman and Spider-Man are the only characters where I would pick up, where I have picked up the book for some obscure element that I was, for which I was willing to overlook the creators, I guess, if you know what I mean. Like, um, like for example, I bought all of Hush um, because I really just liked looking at Jim Lee's Batman, even though the idea of it being a story... So I guess in a way I was still sort of buying it for a creator. I was just ignoring the other creator, so to speak. <laughs> See, that's kind of fascinating because I've just read Hush for the first time. Oh, really? You, through the yeah, I, of I, the I, Portland Library so, system? Exactly, yes. In the Absolute Edition, which is massive and overwhelming. Um, and Hush is a very weird reading experience. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I say that as someone who actually really kind of likes Jeff Loeb in a weird way. Like, I think things like Hulk and Superman Batman are genuinely enjoyable. Mm-hmm. Um, Hush is just weird. Yeah, Hush weird. is this really odd... Like... Reading the, um, Jeff Loeb's interviews and, and commentary, where he's like, I can't believe no one ever guessed who Hush was. It's like, well, that's because Hush is a dead state if it's really um, the Riddler, as they seem to be implying by the end of the story, and spoiler warning everyone, mm-hmm. um, co- literally comes out of nowhere. You can't guess it if there's no hint. Yeah. You yeah. know, it's it's completely not playing fair. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I agree, and I I think that that uh, <laughs> honestly, if there was if there was a fine choice for phrases that should go on Jeff Loeb's uh, tombstone, I think not playing fair would be right up there. You know, it's like here lies Jeff Loeb, quote, not playing fair, unquote. You know, because <laughs> because you're right. There's no way. I mean, he does so many double reversals and whimwams. I mean. Like, that's part of why I could not care less about the Hulk stuff. I mean, it's kind of overpriced, but the whole mystery of the Red Hulk, there's no mystery, because there's no mystery when somebody is going to just make up something, you know, that he's going to come up with, like, nine million red herrings, and then he'll pull something out of his ass, and then afterwards spend, you know, uh, you know, uh, all these... uh, 97 interviews online going, well, I can't believe that nobody figured out that it was Bruce Banner's barber. I mean, who else would it be? But 
Betty Banner. You know, I mean, it's all well, whoever if, wants to. If you believe um, Benjamin Birdie, who does the rock mm-hmm. uh, with Kevin Church, it's the leader. He, for some reason, has started saying, you know, it's definitely the leader. There's no way it's not the leader. So I'm willing to see because I thought the leader was dead hmm. last time I checked. But at the same time, that means nothing in a Jeff Loeb comic. Right. Oh, it means less than nothing. Um, ironically, except when he tried to bring back Jason Todd for Hush and then, you know, apparently got shut down and had to do the whole like, oh, or was it, you know, and then and then later someone else got to bring back Jason Todd. But because that worked out so well. Well, the story I heard was he wanted to bring back Jason Todd and they they shot him down. And so he had to do a fake out, you know, but here's the thing. They were right to shoot him down. I, you know, I don't know. I don't. I, well, I don't think anything has been gained by bringing Jason Todd back. Uh, well, I, I agree with you, but again, not. Hmm. If anything would have been gained, it would have been gained if they had done it in Hush, as opposed to six months later. And oh yeah, also, sure, no, definitely, yeah. It's one of those ideas where you bring back Jason Todd. You know, it's kind of it's kind of like bringing back Bucky Barnes. I would have said there was no good plan for doing it, and then of course, you know, you look at it and you're like, okay, well, clearly it it, it worked, but that's because Brubaker made it work. You know, yeah, exactly. I mean, there, I think there's a, a century of difference between Jeff Lowe bringing back Jason Todd to be Hush and Brubaker bringing back Bucky, because Brubaker had a plan. Uh, well, I agree. Uh, I guess what I'm saying is, is to me. Um, the idea, it's not that the idea was bad, it's that the people executing the idea, you know what I mean? So, yeah, yeah. so very much for me, the problem with, with bringing back, you know, Jason Todd is, you know, nobody's done anything but continue to screw the pooch on it, you know, except for some of the Jed Winnick stuff that was kind of enjoyable, but not worth bringing back Jason Todd for. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, I, you know, you had to put up with me at length to talk about why I think the Red Hood could be like the best character in DC's little pantheon. Um, and I, I still think at some point you should kidnap someone at DC and tell them that. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, A, that doesn't really work. You know? Dude, if, if Azrael is getting another series, you can't tell me there's no way that Jason Todd couldn't get a series. Oh, no, Jason Todd could get a series. I'm just saying that I can show up and I can tell them that I've got, like, the absolute world's greatest idea. And until they actually know who I am, they don't care because they're approached by nine million people, you know, sweaty, unwashed, middle-aged guys telling them that they've got the greatest idea for how to save Jason Todd. They, You know, of yep. course they're not going to listen. Like, until you get a chance to pitch... Then you get, you know, then they get to show you the DC pitch list, you know, the big old binder, and someone's like, yeah, we really want to do, um, what's that godforsaken thing? Like, we really want to do a book with, uh, you know, the fat guy who shoots flames who helped kill the Martian Manhunter. What can you do with that? You know what I mean? Like, no one ever goes like, hey, I got a great idea for that guy. I mean, maybe they do, but but they don't care. They've got a list of people that they're interested in bringing back at the time, and so... If they know you, you get a chance to, you know, pitch for the things that they're interested in. And maybe if you're lucky, you can corner someone in a bar someday and go, you know what? I have all this stuff I want to do with the Red Hood. But, you know, to to get into that little bullseye of the bullseye, you know, before that, you've got years and years and years of people going, well, well listen, I, I have to run because, you know, you're talking to me while I'm peeing and it's very intimate. Um, or it's... And you how know. did your Santiago go, Jeff? 
you do know that James uh, on the comments has asked for more pitches for B-list or below characters like the Dazzler one. Yes. So, I mean, if you ever want to give up your Jason Todd Red Hood pitch, which, at listeners having heard it, is actually really, really, really good, you should totally do that here. Not Maybe not right now, because I honestly think you could make a go of it, and I think you will be in the position to make a go of it at some point. Right. So you maybe don't want to, if you will, shoot your load here, but... <laughs> If you ever decide that you don't want to do it anymore, then go. Right. Well, I would love to. I would actually love to pitch my some. I would love to do the B list pitching at some point, of course, because I I do enjoy that, and I think us it, particularly when we can talk about the stuff. That's why I love Angel is the Ape, of course, because it's something that we're both excited about and can build off of. But um, but yeah, I'll hold off on the Red Hood a little bit, as much not to put everyone else through that, um, <laughs> and in part because part of me does think like. Ooh, I'll get a chance. One day, one day. One day, Red Hood. But that's the thing. Part of me is kind of like, I'm not even really sure. All those ideas that I told you were before Battle for the Cowl. And after Battle for the Cowl, like, I was sort of telling Hibbs about my pitch, and he was kind of like, yeah, but who cares? I mean, fuck Jason Todd. You know what I mean? Well, like, if, if I, first of all, that's Hibbs. Mm-hmm. And secondly, wait until Morrison's finished with him. Yeah, that's kind of what I'm hoping, but who knows? By the time Morrison finishes with him, he could be he, he, like a, you know... A... Yeah, exactly. He he could be like a, a Transformer. Yeah, yeah exactly. He, exactly. In the Lou Reedian sense. Um, I, I mean, it's I, all... I, have, I have one more question from James. Yes. Who asked that I really want to ask you. Crying superheroes, threat or menace? Yeah, that's that. I thought that was brilliant, too. Um, you know... That I will, I will, I will say, menace. What do you say? I'm going to say neither. I like a superhero in touch with his emotions. Uh, see, I think that a crying superhero, when done well, is awesome. It just is almost never done well. Like for example, uh, in Wednesday Comics, this was a point that I, I, I wanted to to make about that Superman story. I'm really bummed out that I hate it because. In theory, it's just them. It's gorgeous art, and they're sort of trying to do, you know, sort of a Weisinger Superman take. You know, Weisinger Superman was the was kind of the the ultimate in crying superhero. You know what I mean? Like he's literally sob, gasp, choke. He's always choking in in Weisinger Superman stories. You know, where it's like, oh no, uh, here I am. I'm back in Krypton, and I'm watching my parents marry, and I can't tell them that the planet is going to blow up. Choke. You know what I mean? Like those classic Silver Age stories. But you see, Superman can't choke anymore. Superman can only weep. And there's 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 a difference. Yeah. There's a difference between becoming overwhelmed by emotion and doing something, which is what choke is. Mm. Choke was always choke, net panel, I am doing something. <laughs> and weeping, which is like, you know, he will be overcome by emotion and be unable to do anything. Someone will die and then he'll say, I wish I'd done something. And then like it'll be, and scene. And scene. Thank you. I'll be in my trailer. Smoking my super cigarette. But it's like, you know, identity crisis. Identity crisis... If it had come 10 years before that, someone would have tried to have killed um, Sue Dibney Mm -hmm. and failed. Mm -hmm. And then there would be, instead of who killed her and like torture and everything, it would be who tried to. Uh, Maybe. I I, I personally think that the... um, And we should actually... I'll try and remember that point if we end up talking about Blackest Night. 
Um, for me, the, 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 the turning point was that cover of Crisis where Superman is holding Supergirl and, and crying. And that's, that's where... It's not that weird, oddly inexpressive... Kurt Swan slash Al Plastino Superman where he's kind of got like his brow furrowed and he might have super gas, you know, and maybe there's like uh, there's one like tier. Exactly. Yeah. The one tier. No, this is like Superman in full on scary ass getting his weepy on. Um that's disturbing. It's really I mean, you know, it's it sort of in theory worked, but it really opened the floodgates, no no pun intended, for a bunch of really pathetic over emotion. And so reading the Superman in Sunday comics is very much the post crisis crying Superman as opposed to the Mort Weisinger weeping Superman, where even if he's where even if it's it is the scenes where he can't do anything, and I mean you know the Weisinger stuff really dragged that Superman through the emotional ringer. In fact, everyone got dragged through the emotional ringer, and usually it ended up being like a plot to flush out a counterfeiter. Um, it it still had the delightful um, weird stoicism. So there was kind of a there was kind of a, a distancing effect that kind of happened that really allowed you to get into either a how strange it was that everybody was actually thinking the word choke i mean like what does that mean really <laughs> you know like that could you just spend I, hours I think the word choke continually if something <laughs> sad happens for example getting back to my emo blog when i'm writing that i just <laughs> choke like, like one tear is coming down my face it's it's really hard to write but that's all it could be. <laughs> Here's here's the thing about um, like Silver Age Superman. Silver Age Superman stories are never about Superman, and that's why they work. They're always about someone else, and Superman comes in and saves the day. Mm. Even when he goes back in time, it's about his parents. Mm. Uh. It's never about Superman. Mm. He's there. He's a presence, but it's never about Superman. It's always about someone else, and Superman is involved. Interesting. Interesting. I actually will flip it where I think uh, the reason why the Silver Age Superman stories work is because Superman and all the other characters like Lois Lane, Jimmy, Perry, even are, are in their weird way. They're just as invulnerable as Superman is, you know, from the context of the story. Like they're, you know, Lois Lane's never going to die. Jimmy Olsen's never going to die. You know, they're not even going to, it's not even going to be like, oh no, I've got my hand shorn off in this airplane propeller. You know, they're always going to be fine. But to me, the thing about Superman, the Silver Age Superman, is that it's all about emotional trauma. Like, the Silver Age Superman stories are pretty much like, like taken straight from Disney's, you know, Bambi slash Dumbo slash Snow White thing, where people are just emotionally tortured. And what's fascinating is it's either Superman is a dick emotionally torturing Lois or emotionally torturing Jimmy or emotionally torturing Perry for, you know, reasons that it turns out to be to trick, you know, again, to flush out a counterfeiter or something like that. Or Superman himself, even though he has, like, superpowers, 
suddenly um, he's in a situation where he himself is being emotionally tortured. Like he's back on planet Krypton, he sees his parents, and they're going to die. Or he's on Kandor, everyone hates him and are throwing Kandorian rocks at him because he hasn't saved them. Or, you know what I mean? Like it's some Yeah, but see, I, I find it hard to really think about those stories as bits of mine because he will end the story in exactly the same place as he started it. Exactly. Everyone else that will have gone through the emotional journey, which is why I think the story is about someone else. No, I see. To me, they're all fine too. Usually, it, there's never any stage at which Lois Lane just says, "You know what? I am through with you." You know what I mean? Like same thing with Jimmy Olsen. Like he can be like, you know, like going, you know, "Oh no, Superman! Why are you humiliating me this way?" Choke. And then, you know, at the end of the thing, he's like, ah, oh, oh, counterfeiter? Okay. You know, he's never like, you emotionally manipulative son of a bitch, you know? Chum. Chum? <laughs> but even in, even in that case, I think there's always, like, a lesson, a moral that they learn. In a way that, you know, it'll be, you know, Lois, you should not have snuck around and opened up my drawer and, you know, seen that or whatever. And you're right, Graham, but, she never does that again. <laughs> no, no, but you know what I mean? For that, within the context of that story, sure. there will be a lesson mm. for every character except for Superman, who never learns anything. <laughs> he, never, he never goes through any sort of emotional journey, mm. ever. He can go back and see his parents die, and he'll come back and he'll be like, that's so sad, choke. <laughs> and, and nothing, nothing will have changed. I really wish we'd started this discussion in the first podcast so that we could use the word choke for the next five and drive everyone <laughs> crazy, because uh, I'm loving it. I really have to say, this cannot excite choke. me more. Choke. <laughs> um, so, um, yes. So, you're saying neither. I'm saying menace. I guess what I really mean is threat. And, of course, I, I love the silver the, the emotional bathos of the Silver Age Superman. But for me, in order for it to work, it, it has to be applied through this lens of stoicism. So, you know, otherwise, it just flips to that weird post-George Perez, oh, no, I'm crying you know, and again, like Brad Meltzer, where everyone talks about how emotionally crushed they are, and you're just like, none of you guys are really feeling anything. You know what I mean? Which, which is a wonderful segue into Blackest Night. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Which we should totally do a Ned's podcast because we are nearing half an hour. Excellent. Is that okay? Do you have? Do you that have time is to, okay. a cliffhanger, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Perfect. 